Hello and welcome to the Highly Sensitive Soul Podcast. My name is Lisa Matthews, and together we'll explore both the gifts and the challenges of being highly sensitive so that you can bring your unique magic out into the world. You are listening to episode 32. My name is Lisa Matthews, and I'm really excited you're here. We are going to dive pretty quickly into a framework to help you understand high sensitivity. Essentially, I kind of think of today's episode like HSPs in a nutshell. This is a research-supported framework by Dr. Elaine Aaron, who is, of course, the pioneer and quite literally wrote the book on highly sensitive people back in the early 90s. Before we dive in, of course, my name's Lisa Matthews, and I am a very highly sensitive person. Whenever I take a highly sensitive quiz or test, I tend to rate at the like super uber top end of it. And it was through discovering that I was a highly sensitive person, learning more about the trait, and allowing myself the permission to create a life that supports my sensitivities while I get to sink into the gifts of them. And as you heard at the show opener, this podcast is all about helping you learn to better navigate the challenges while really sinking into the gifts. So let's dive right in and I'll expand on these a little bit more, but let's dive into the framework first. If you're here just for like the three minute snapshot, I'm going to walk you through a four letter acronym called DOES. Some people will call it DOSE, but in general, we're working with the letters D, O, E, and S. D stands for depth of processing. O stands for overstimulation or overarousal. E stands for empathy and emotional responsiveness. And S stands for sensory sensitivity. Which, considering the scientific name for a highly sensitive person, is essentially sensory processing sensitivity or I suppose you'd say a person with sensory processing sensitivity. Okay, as a lot of words, I'm going to go through each of those in two more rounds. I'm going to introduce each letter a little bit more, and then I'm going to bring in the research that backs all of this up. So now that you have a brief snapshot, let's start back at D for depth of processing. Us highly sensitives have a very sensitive nervous system. It's highly attuned. And that can mean that we are quite literally processing, organizing, pondering things at a very deep level. And while there's no hierarchy in that highly sensitives are definitely better, non-highly sensitives are, no, there is people and variety but when it comes to the depth of processing, we tend to process things more than the average person. Yes, this can lead to some of the challenges of being a highly sensitive, such as overthinking. However, it also means we're very reflective and we can learn things 
often quite well because we are reflecting and still processing something long after it's actually happened. This is great because we also get to connect the dots on things that other people may have missed. So the depth of processing, and I talk about this a lot on the podcast, this two sides of the coin concept. The depth of processing can be both really helpful in that we make decisions really well, though we are going to do kind of a pause, a pause and check, it's called, before diving into something. So while we may, say, take a little longer to make a decision, we're going to be weighing up more factors. So there's definitely a lot of benefits to thinking deeply, and there's some challenges. As I mentioned, the overthinking things, and that is something that shows up a lot in the work that I do with clients. If you'd like any more information on my one-on-one practice, you can head to combinationhealing.ca and have a look around there. Let's move on to O. Now, this is known for originally as overstimulation and has later been changed to overarousal. By the way, most of this information is coming directly from Dr. Elaine Aaron's website, going to the source here. And while both those words, stimulation, arousal, often have a bit of a different connotation for people, we're bringing in a straight nervous system lens here. So this is for us responding intensely and easily to things, to us being reactive to stimuli. So this can mean that we are really affected by the perfume at the perfume tester counter that we walk by. This can mean that having clothes that are just a little bit too tight or conversely a little bit too loose, it kind of takes a lot of our bandwidth. I'm going to share a quote here from Elaine Aaron. She says, as a result, a sense of quote unquote too muchness and overwhelm is common. A sense of too muchness and overwhelm is common. It's not so much that HSPs have a lower threshold for stress. It's that they have so much processing going on all the time that over arousal, my words here, or overstimulation, happens sooner and more easily. So you think if we're taking in, taking in, taking in all this information, eventually our bucket gets kind of full and we start to overflow a little bit. So... This is where strategies to really navigate giving our nervous system periods of rest to allow that deprocessing to happen and to be not taking in new stimuli are really, really important. It's not so much just about straight up avoidance. Heck, if I avoided everything that made me uncomfortable or anxious or challenged in life, I would be a hermit. Not that being a hermit's a bad thing, but I have some different goals, dreams, and aspirations that I'm reaching for. So even though some of these are going to sound a little bit on the negative side, such as this overstimulation piece, this is where learning to consciously create, to design a life that supports your sensitivities in all their different flavors. This is where putting in tools, practices, and really habits in your day to support your nervous system can go a really long way. Let's move on to E. 
and that is covering empathy and emotional responsiveness. Now, since we're deeply processing things, and since we can be easily overstimulated, you can imagine seeing a really deep, dramatic, true-life story on Netflix. You might have felt a little jarred after, and you might have felt a ton of emotion, maybe wondering to yourself, why do I feel so affected by this? Now, we, to different degrees, will have levels of emotional responsiveness, and basically this means feeling things deeply. Feeling things within yourself, as in your own reaction to, say, seeing that true life documentary. And also feeling or having a sense of others' emotions. Sensing other people's vibes, if you will. In some people, this feels a bit like you're a sponge and literally absorbing others' emotions and energy. That's getting a little bit more into the territory of an empath. I really got to do this episode on an empath. I talked about it, I think, in one of the first few episodes. It's on the list. Got to come back to it. But in general, highly sensitive themselves are empathetic. We are compassionate. We are often quite sensitive to seeing things that are hard. This does not mean we cannot engage with them. This does not mean we can't do activism work. This just means we have to take our own emotional responsiveness into mind when we think, okay, how am I going to approach this? Now, the gift here is particularly feeling the joy of music, feeling the joy of seeing those first spring flowers. I personally think of it like I tend to get more joy than perhaps a less sensitive person, to simpler things. And I'm going to slide in here that there's no hierarchy or better than when it comes to nervous systems or those that are highly sensitive or that are not. But I know for me, if I want to shift my inner state and step into a calmer, more joyous way of being, that if I head out on a walk in nature, that's going to go a really long way for me because of this emotional responsiveness. We feel things bigger. I know, excellent grammar there, but for me, that's kind of how I remember it. I feel things bigger. So wrapping up E, just naming that we tend to be quite highly compassionate we are aware of how other people are doing in a lot of cases. We may e even be able to see what they need for their own comfort before they realize it. So we can be highly attuned to others, can be highly attuned to our own emotions, and there can be both positives and some yes, challenges that come with each of these different letters in the framework, if you will. So learning to process our emotions in a healthy way, learning to be with big feelings within our window of tolerance, within what our nervous system can handle, is really helpful to thrive as a highly sensitive. All right, let's shift into S. Do you remember what it was from the recap? S is for sensory sensitivity. 
You might also read it as specific sensory sensitivity, depending on where you're looking at. This is us straight up noticing details. My cat agrees with me. That was uh, yogurt saying hello to everyone. (laughs) So sensory sensitivity is about us really noticing the little tiny things. Remember at the start of this episode when I talked about us having a highly attuned nervous system? So we pick up those little things. We notice the spelling mistake in the report that has been edited five times. Seriously, I cannot tell you how many books I've read where I find either a straight up spelling or grammatical error and I'm like, how did they miss that? But I get it. Things, things slip through or sometimes magically just get changed. <laughs> Have you ever done that? If you're reading a magazine or reading something that's like physical in print and you just find a letter out of place. So sensory sensitivity is coming back to our senses. Yes, we traditionally have an accepted five senses, sight, sound, touch, smell, taste. I would argue after reading and exploring other elements that we have a lot more than those five senses. Think of proprioception, our sense of where we are in space, interoception, our sense of our inner self. In short, it's kind of like the sensitivity dial on our senses is turned up. So we may be more overloaded by a too bright light. We may notice way more detail when we're walking around a mall than, say, a person that doesn't identify as a highly sensitive. This is also an innate trait. We are born highly sensitive. There can be a lot of crossover here between having experienced trauma in life, at any point in life, and having a sensitized nervous system from that. But today I'm talking about those born with the trait of high sensitivity. So when it comes to the sensory side, this one can be a little more challenging to navigate if, say, your coworker wears a scent that just doesn't work for you. So there's definitely different strategies for different senses. If you look back earlier in the podcast, I did an episode all around sound sensitivity and gave you 10 different ways you can work with it. And just before we shift into the research aspect of today and naming some studies and more specifics around this particular framework, I wanted to share a couple quick facts for you that can help to flesh out your understanding of the trait of high sensitivity. So, quick facts time. Approximately 15 to 20% of people are highly sensitive. This means that one in every five or six people actually are born with this trait. It's not an illness, it's not a disorder, though yes, it can make us in some ways more prone to particular challenges. But in itself, this is a genetic trait that we're born with. And while they haven't, as far as my knowledge goes, found a particular set of, these are the specific genes for high sensitivity that show up in this exact way. They more have combinations of genes that show up. But in general, 
This is something that you have inherited, as best we can tell from the research so far. And if you think that all highly sensitives are introverts, meaning they tend to gain energy by being alone and lose energy by being around people, you'd be partially right that around 70% of highly sensitives are said to be introverts, with the remaining 30% being extroverts. This is also a personality trait, but My biggest question with the introversion-extroversion studies are why there is no ambivert. That is someone who is essentially a bit more in the middle of of the spectrum. And yes, I could go deeper into that, but for now, I will leave that there. What else can I tell you about high sensitivity? It's not just humans. They have found this trait in over a hundred different species. So there are different fish, different monkeys, horses, fruit flies that exhibit the trait of high sensitivity. This is often observed in other species as a pause to check. We'll say pause to check process, meaning that the highly sensitive being, whatever species we're looking at, is quite potentially looking and observing and processing information first before making a decision and diving in. I also want to name that, and here's a quick question for you, going back to humans again. Do you think this trait of high sensitivity shows up more in those born female or those born male? Well, that was actually, in a sense, a trick question, because if you guessed either one, that's not exactly correct. What we know so far is that it is about 50-50. Though often those that are born male, they have not gotten into a lot of gender research here. So I am trying to be very respectful and also accurate with my wording in terms of what studies have said so far. But that roughly 50% of highly sensitives are male and 50% are female. So... While that doesn't leave any space for non-binary, and I apologize for that, I like to be a bit broader than this, given what I am sharing at the moment. This is something that is often underreported in males, because they will score lower on highly sensitive tests quite classically. They're still doing research on why exactly that is, but of course you can imagine there being some cultural norms that make it a little bit perhaps easier and more socially acceptable for for a female and person living as a woman to say, yeah, sure, I cry more easily at sad movies and I'm more easily distressed by certain things and I feel more joy from music and the arts. There is definitely some incredible, highly sensitive males out there who have written some great books, who have some great resources. But yeah, from what we can tell so far, it is about 50-50. Now that we've had our little quick HSP facts segue, I'm going to bring in some of the research. And this is from the author's note to the Highly Sensitive Person book. 
So I'll put the link to the full author's note. It's about 13 pages on the, well, in the show notes. So if you want to read through everything, there's some great, great stuff in here. So if you have bought a brand new version of the Highly Sensitive Person book, then you will probably have this author's note um, in the book itself. All right, let's dive into our framework one more time, kind of building it up here, giving you that snapshot at the start, going a little deeper in the middle. And now let's reference a few studies that I'll summarize here, again, with full transparency that this is from Dr. Elaine Aaron's author's note. I always like to name where I get information from and give credit to the appropriate people. So starting off with D, our depth of processing There is some research by Bianca Acevedo and her associates. Again, apologies if I'm going to mispronounce anyone's name here. I'll do my best. They found that highly sensitives have a particular area in the brain that's much more activated than the general population. And this area of the brain is called the insula. Essentially, this is kind of our seat of self-awareness our inner tracking of ourselves. And this goes on a number of levels, our inner sensations from our sense of our organs through to our inner sense of pain through, and there's many, many brain structures involved in pain. So so I won't say it's just the insula responsible for our perception of pain, but essentially it's the insula helps us be aware of our inner self from a sensory level, an emotional level. And again, this has higher activation. So you think from a depth of processing standpoint, we are going to be taking in a lot. So for this author's note summary, some are are going to be direct quotes, but I'll do my best to sum things up. So I'm not just reading off of a paper for you. But I will quote this, that HSP simply process everything more relating and comparing what they notice to their past experience with other similar things. They do it whether they're aware of it or not. And when we decide without knowing how we came to that decision, we call this intuition. And HSBs have good, but not infallible, intuition. When you make a decision consciously, you may notice that you are slower than others because you think over all the options so carefully. That's depth of processing too. There's other research naming and finding that we tend to use parts of the brain associated with deeper processing of information, particularly on tasks that involve noticing subtleties. Let's shift over to O, which is again for overstimulation or over arousal. And again, if we're just feeling a lot, we are going to kind of reach the end of our bandwidth and get overstimulated relatively quickly. And they found in a study by Friedrich Gerstenberg in Germany that HSPs were particularly quick at a task where they had to notice a detail. They basically had all these shapes of L turned in various ways on a computer screen. And people had to spot a T and find if it was kind of hidden amongst the L shapes. Does anyone else think of Tetris, thinking of this study? So they didn't have to move them. They just had to spot something that essentially looked like it was going to blend in. 
So highly sensitives were faster, they were more on point, they were right more often, but also more stressed than others after doing the task. There is a question of whether this was just being observed, being in an experiment, that is also an element of a highly sensitive. I'll name a lot of the different aspects of the trait here, and not every person experiences it the same way. So some people get quite nervous when they're being watched doing a task. So they're not sure if they got more stressed out because of that, but in general, highly sensitives had that overstimulation and getting overloaded piece, getting stressed. And while a lot of the research focuses on highly sensitives and their stress, I do appreciate how much more there is a shift, and this is what I'm intentionally bringing in with this podcast too. I appreciate that there is a shift to looking at how this is a benefit to be a sensitive person. So when we shift into E for our level of empathy and our emotional reactivity, in a series of studies by Yadzia Yagielowicz, found that HSPs particularly react more than non-HSPs to pictures with a quote-unquote positive valence. This was even more true if they had a good childhood. In her studies of the brain, this reaction to positive pictures was not only the areas associated with the initial experience of strong emotions, but also in higher areas of thinking and perceiving. And in some of the same areas as those found in the depth of processing brain studies. So essentially what that's saying is highly sensitives have different areas of our brain activating more when it comes to looking at, in this case, positive pictures. We have a bigger emotional response, in this case, to something good compared to a non-highly sensitive person. And again, coming back to the region of the brain called the insula, you may also rate it as the insular cortex if you're looking into this more, or even the insular lobe. There's a few names floating around, but insula being the core of it there. In another study by Bianca Acevedo, who I mentioned earlier, they showed both sensitive and non-sensitive people a series of photos expressing various emotions. So it was interesting to see that, again, the insula showed increased activation. It was more lit up, as well as their mirror neuron system, especially when looking at the happy faces of a loved one. So again, simply looking at a picture, we're having a bigger response than a person that is non-highly sensitive. And if you've never heard of mirror neurons... They are really cool, and they blew my mind the first time I first learned about them, way back in my craniosacral training. These are very special neurons in our brain that, as the name implies, mirror what we're observing when someone else is taking an action. So to give an example from the author's note, when we're watching someone else do something or feel something, This clump of neurons fires in the same way as some of the neurons in the person we're observing. As an example, the same neurons fire to varying degrees, whether we are kicking a soccer ball, see someone else kicking a soccer ball, hear the sound of someone kicking a soccer ball, or hear or say the word kick. 
So essentially, the first example I learned was if someone in front of me is drinking a glass of water, that same set of neurons holding the glass, moving it to our mouth, swallowing, those same neurons to a variable degree are also activated in my mind. So if you had brain imaging on both those people, one actually doing the action, one taking a swallow of the drink, and the other person observing, there would actually be a lot of overlap there. So bringing this into the field of empathy, if we see someone crying, and that activates our brain's mirror neurons, that means we can quite literally have our own neurons firing around that experience of crying. If we see someone sad, that emotional response we observe, we feel within ourselves. This is in part a scientific basis for empathy and for understanding how we observe people and also how we learn. So these help us learn through imitation, helps us advance as a species when we're seeing someone way back in the caveman days, actually using some type of tool. And instead of having to invent the tool and start all over again, if someone else just observed a person using it, they'll go, oh, okay. Those same neurons, again, to a lesser degree, to a variable degree, light up in the observer so that when they go to try it, it kind of got a bit of a head start. So they're very helpful with learning and understanding one another. There's a lot more on mirror neurons. Yes, there's a little controversy on mirror neurons. So feel free, always anything I share here, to do your own research and see what resonates for you. So I'm going to bring in this other line that I really like that looks at learning and emotion. So in other studies that explore the contribution of emotion to clear thinking, find that unless people have some emotional reason to learn something, they do not learn it very well or at all. So from the side of the gifts of highly sensitives, if we have an emotional connection to someone, if we have a deep connection to what we are observing, if it matters to us, we're way, way more likely to learn it well. I think a lot of highly sensitives, as I've seen in a lot of highly sensitives, we have a pretty curious nature. We like to understand things. We like to sink our teeth into things, nerd out on things. So our mirror neurons help us to do that. So again, all this is research. This is what we know at this point in time and also are always going to be learning more. So let's wrap up with S for sensing the subtle for also sensory sensitivity. Again, it comes back to the brain and there are areas that are more active when sensitive people perceive, especially when we're doing complex processing of sensory information. I really like this. I'll read it out as a direct quote. Not so much the areas of the brain, not so much the areas that recognize alphabet letters by their shape or even that read words, but the areas that catch the subtle meaning of words. Our awareness of subtleties is useful in an infinite number of ways, from simple pleasure in life 
to strategizing our response based on our awareness of others' nonverbal cues that they may have no idea they're giving off about their mood or trustworthiness. Of course, on the other hand, when we are worn out, we may be the least aware of anything, subtle or gross, except our own need for a break. So I wanted to bring that last section in just because it brings up the point that while we may be really attuned to subtlety, for me, this is also energetically. This is why so many of us go into healing work, energetic work, counseling work, really using our senses of observing and also being able to kind of catch those nuances that others might miss. Our, our sensitivity really serves us well in a lot of ways. But yes, going back to that last line of when we're really worn out, we sometimes can't actually sense and take in as much. We may be actually sensing it, but we're not processing it as much because we're so focused on how much we need a rest. And thus the importance of taking regular breaks in the day, of working in cycles of having some type of output, stimulation, something happening, followed by a rest, letting ourselves process what's just happened so that we're not constantly taking it in. And yes, this is definitely, it can be a challenge in all honesty, given that we live in quite a loud, quite a fast world. So again, coming back to that sense of living intentionally as best we can, given where we're at in life, given our current level of privilege, our current level of work, and how we can, how much we can change about our day, essentially. But the question I come back to a lot is, how can a person create a life that supports their sensitivities instead of them being overwhelmed by them? This is a really simple way to help with that process working, resting. So knowing all of this, some may have resonated with you. You may have seen yourself. Oh yeah, I totally do that. Like seeing spelling mistakes in books. Some of it may not have resonated with you at all. You're like, no, I tend to miss certain details that doesn't really fit with me. And that brings us back to the beauty of our uniqueness. Yes, so many of us share this trait of high sensitivity. We're not made from a cookie cutter. We are all unique. We are all a little different. So even if both you and a really good friend identify as highly sensitive, there may be different ways that it shows up for you. So while I was originally intending this to be a really short and sweet episode, You know me, if you've listened to this podcast anyway, you know me. I tend to have a few extra thoughts to bring in. This is also one of the reasons why I kind of gave up actually writing Instagram captions because I just have some layers to sink into and share. And they don't often fit in, I don't know, 100 words. What is the caption for Instagram these days? All that being said... I hope today was helpful. I hope you learned about yourself. And if you've made it to the end of this episode, what is your takeaway? 
What is the thing you want to remember? Yes, there's been lots of information. And again, I'm going to post the reference from the author's note here, and she'll go into more of the studies there. You can have a read if you want. But I find it really empowering. The more I discover about myself, the more I get how I work, the more I can, as I said, create a life that supports my sensitivities and so that I can really have fun with them. My intuitive nature, my call to the spiritual, my sense of feeling energy and feeling the subtle. This is essentially my craniosacral work. It's deep awareness work, sensing both my energy field, that person's energy field, and what's happening in the field that we are sitting in, the space that we're sitting in. Now, for those that want some support with this, know that I would love to meet with you. Know that there are many people working with highly sensitives. If I'm not your person, somebody out there very well could be. But if you'd like to connect more, I offer a highly sensitive tea chat. This is a space simply to meet. Think of it literally. It's a free meet and greet session. We'll meet for half an hour and explore how being highly sensitive shows up for you. I can help pinpoint a few areas if you're not too sure. We can explore some of the areas that might feel a little sticky, might be a little more challenging or overwhelming. These are commonly areas around boundaries, people-pleasing, feeling like they're overwhelmed a lot. In a sense, I think of it like I help people with the overs, overthinking, overstimulated, overwhelmed, and help to really connect to the magic of life while learning nervous system tools and energetic practices for your whole self. Do a lot of introspective work, self-awareness work, leaning into your ability to think deeply. So all that being said, I invite you, if this calls to you, to hop on over to the link in the show notes. You can just head to my website at combinationhealing.ca as well. And there is a blue book now button. So you're welcome to grab a session. I'm offering these currently. If this is way in the future you're listening to and you don't see me offering that currently, the highly sensitive tea chat, you're welcome to send me an email. But in those sessions, I'm going to give you a tangible tool or practice that you can use just based off what you shared. So I'll try and customize it for whatever's showing up in your life. It's also a chance for us to explore if it's a good fit for deeper work together. Though really, I'm coming with a cup of tea, coming to hear your story, and to share a tool, practice, or something supportive and hope that it helps you in your everyday life, no matter if you feel called for deeper work or just for that one meet and greet session. All right, everyone, I hope you have enjoyed today's episode. And if this has been helpful for you, I invite you to share it with a friend. I'm always open to your feedback. You're welcome to leave a review and to rate the podcast either on Apple or there's a new way on Spotify where if you're on the app and you look at the top, there is a an outline of a star, I think it is. 
and you can rate the podcast there as well, helping to share this with more highly sensitives. And again, if you'd like some extra support on your highly sensitive journey in creating an intentional, peaceful, and intuitively led life, then feel welcome to book a highly sensitive chi chat with me. Bring a lovely warm beverage of choice. Hot chocolate is also allowed and we will get right to it. Have a beautiful, nourishing day and until next time, bye for now.